Well, I asked her on a date and she told HR, so I'm taking my gun and headed down to the bar to shoot some rounds. Shooting, shooting some rounds. To shoot some rounds. Rounds, rounds and rounds. Well, I sent her dick pics and she reported them all. Now me, my vest, and my gun are headed down to the mall to shoot some rounds. Shooting rounds, shooting them about. To shoot some rounds. Shooting rounds, shooting them about. Well, we're doing Carl Pan's Ram, the buttfuck king of America. Part two this week on Death Metal. Man, what a lively intro. But I've been thinking about anal rape. <laughs> All week I didn't long, even man. know you was going to do that. I like yeah. that, man. Off, you know, I thought about it yesterday because I heard the Beach Boys, and there was another fucking rocket incel shooting. Did you see the one that happened this weekend in Texas, where the guy comment he fucking took a mail truck, he had a shootout with cops, and was drive by shooting people from a mail truck, and then he had a bowl cut. Right, that guy rocks. Yeah. Now, sure, he's you know frustrated with not coming, but it happens to the best of us. What's he? Uh, he said it was rocking, like it was rock and roll involved. Yeah, it was. He had a bowl cut. Oh, okay. Yeah, he big Eagles fan. Yeah, I feel like Eagles is the bowl cut. The team or the music? The music. Oh yeah, they suck. Yeah, I'm not a big fan. Well, man, uh, did you have an eventful week? Uh, no, not really. I'm honest. <laughs> yeah, all right. Just working and jerking. Working and listening to cool death metal. Yeah. Been hooked on that Maggot Stomp Records label. All those bands are. Just fucking great, man. You just found out about it like last week or something? No, just like I knew about some of them, but uh, one of the listeners sent me a message. Well, he's getting online and he's looking around. He wants to stop some maggots, wants to slam about. Yeah. Nope. Nope. <laughs> <But laughs> fucking Beach been, Boys. Been jamming it, man. There's some, some, there's some great shit out there that, that I enjoy as far as that mid tempo just pissed off. Yeah, you know but. that's the pocket I like to sit in too, man. Yeah, it's just no. It's, I don't want to go too fast. Nope, I don't want to go too slow. I just just the speed of a rep. Yeah, you I know? want. I want to give like, me rep speed music. Something like you're eating chili cheese dogs until your stomach literally busts and your guts fall out into the floor. Yeah, like that kind of shit. I was listening to that cerebral rot record a lot last Ooh, week. Yeah, that's a good mid tempo. Yeah, that shit's good. Well, baby, here we are, Carl Pan's Ram Part 2, and uh, I'm going to kick it off with the fuck. Also, I forgot to say last episode, and probably every episode, but you guys got to, if you like what we do, take time out of your day to thank Andy Campbell for helping out with the research, because uh, I do a lot of research, and he really, I'm dumb, you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And I have a real hard, <laughs> <laughs> I just have a real hard time sitting down and putting things in the order i want them to be in if that makes any sense yeah i know what i want to say but i can't convey it on paper even when i like do comedy i can't i don't like sit down and write things out verbatim it's just not the way my my mind works so it's nice i think it makes it a lot better then you could tell me that it sucks i could be totally wrong but in my mind the show seems a lot smoother i mean he's been helping us out for a few months yeah and uh he gives me his outline and then i can plug in Whatever my brain wants me to, and it just is better to have a different set of eyes on this shit than me all the time, because I can't be trusted. Yeah. 
and I get frustrated and I fuck stuff up. But he, like, we got a quote coming into this one that I like a lot. And uh, yeah, saying I, I heard like a clip of Panzram talking one time because the, the sketchiest thing with Panzram, sketchy might not be the right word, but you know his autobiography was written by one of his prison guards. Yeah, and the prison guard that wrote it took a liking to him because he was so well articulated. So, again, when we look at this into his fucking saga, because it gets into... I mean, it was some crazy shit last time, but it really gets into, like, Looney Tunes territory on this one. He does some very unbelievable things. A lot of the stuff that he put out were corroborated. There are people... Because everyone he hung around were fucking criminals. Anyone that he kept the company of were also raping other hobos. Yeah. So there were people that could corroborate. There were victims. There were witnesses. There were other criminals that could verify that, yeah, Panzram is an absolute madman. This is what he does. He does fuck butts. Fucks them. Certified. So you got to just all, at least look. I don't just want to go ahead and 100% completely trust a psychopath and the guy that wrote his words down and then they got with the editor to finalize the product. You always got to think, I mean, even, anytime you tell a story, even if, like, if something happened to you today, and it was crazy. You got in a car wreck. Well, you tell everyone you know the same story, and then they want you to tell their friends the story if you're ever around them. And three years from now, what happened today is going to be way overblown. Mm-hmm. It's just become a story. It's taken a life of its own. It's gone from here's the facts to a concise way of you explaining an insane situation with adjectives, pronouns, verbs that weren't necessarily there before. It happens to everybody, so not necessarily all true. Anyway, there's a short recording of his voice, and I'm telling you right now, he sounds exactly like a retarded Clint Eastwood. Sweet. But you can tell, and that's where at first, because he says he's so articulate. I mean, kind of. He does say very poignant things, but they're all about hating people. Yeah. He's like, you know how that dork from Slipknot writes lyrics about hating the world? Yeah. But he's just a millionaire? Yep. This guy really does hate Oh, yeah. Literally everything. So you get a lot of great quotes that you can look back on. And if you're in a funk or you've had a rough life, you, you can relate to a lot of the things Panzerim says. Yeah. This isn't one of them. Okay. <laughs> he says, at night I was riding the freight trains. I was always on the lookout for someone to shoot at or trying to stick up the hobos I met on trains. I looked them all over and I met one who wasn't too rusty looking. I would make him raise his hands and drop his pants. I wasn't particular either. I rode them all, old and young, tall and short, white and black. It made no difference to me at all except that they were human beings. Right on. And when he says rode... Oh, he rode them. He's talking about butt-fucking them. (laughs) So everyone knows he doesn't mean he rode the train. If you ran into Panzram and you were homeless, and you were on a train, just trying to make your way in life, he was fucking you. But I wonder if like maybe maybe one of them was like, that's fine, but can I ride you? And they just sat on him. He was probably with it. Oh, yeah. You know? He probably loved that. Where it was A little like, reverse cowboy? Yeah. But he seems more like he's the dominant species, man. Like, you I'm kind of sad saying? that Panzram never got to fuck to Genuine's My Pony. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you just crack open that one box car, there's a fog machine going, and then, bam, 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 bam. I'm just a hobo with a big wet butt. 
ready to be taken. I want some psychopath nut. Hey. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. know, man. My it- box car is loaded. Your load, come blow it. But <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a genius. You're like the this is what happens when I don't get drunk before we sit down, man. You're a good Weird Al Yankovic, man. Uh, I don't know, man. I don't feel like like homeless gay sex is like, and I'm not even just shitting on gay sex. I just feel like homeless gay sex is the worst. Well, it smells. It's dude. They ride in my car. It smells when they're in the back seat. Yeah, you know. Well, they're fucking. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I, they love I, to do it. Too. I had to help somebody clean their camper because they got kicked out. They basically had to go somewhere. There was condoms everywhere. Well, they're being safe. That's great. Yeah, good yeah. for them. Well, I gave them the condoms. Well, you're a good man, buddy. I just That's the difference you're making. You're keeping AIDS out of the community. Well, I don't even know if it's AIDS as much as it's just fucking oh, shit. <laughs> dumpster dick. <laughs> <laughs> dumpster dick. Uh, yeah, man. So you dumpster dumpster hole. That's a different time. <laughs> Different type of dumpster diving is whenever fucking yeah pussy's all juicy with trash. Oh, you just a hobo ass is a dumpster. Your dick's diving. Yeah, this one really goes at a fast pace right away. Now I told you last episode, President Taft fucked over Pansram, signed an order to keep him in jail for way too long. What did Pansram say? Vengeance will be mine. Oh. Well, August 1920, Pansram burglarized the William H. Taft Mansion in New Haven, Connecticut. This was the house of the man Pansram held responsible for his imprisonment in Fort Leavenworth. Because remember, he got into the military for a minute, so it had to be Taft that signed off on the order. He stole a large amount of cash, jewelry, bonds. His prized possession from the steal was Taft's Personal Colt 1911 45 caliber handgun. The next eight years of Carl Panzram's spree of murder, rape, stealing, he had that fucking 45 by his side the entire time. The cash that he stole from Taft, he bought a yacht. That's how much cash he stole. Bought a fucking yacht. Now, a lot of people have reported that Panzram stole Taft's yacht. That's wrong. Okay. But he stole the money from Taft. To get the yacht. Bad Taft was probably stuck in his bathtub. That's all he's known for. Who cares? I don't know what type of president he was. I know he's the fattest president ever. Yeah. So fat that he got stuck in the White House bathtub. Oh, that's cool. I, th- I was under the impression he stole the yacht, but that's good. That Yeah, well, that's the way it's been told. Yeah. That he just yanked a yacht. That's how legends are it's, born. It's actually insane that he fucking paid for a yacht instead of stealing it, too. I mean, yeah. he, granted, he stole the money, but he did a... Legitimate business transaction with a slow money. It's like I would get a yacht the right way, man. With with a president's money, that is actually probably cooler than stealing his yacht. Definitely, oh, that's you, the that's president Taft's yeah. money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, he took it. <laughs> <laughs> that's fucking cool, man. He probably fucking bankrupted Taft. I don't know what insurance was like back then, but I got a feeling he fucked Taft up for a while. Oh dude. yeah, that's why I got stuck. What if he fucked him? That's why and I got stuck the in the tub. Balls on that guy, dude. Yeah. We're talking about, because it's like, usually burglars, they're, it's a crime of opportunity, right? Yeah. You know, if you do have a specific target, it, it's like a neighborhood of rich people. You didn't have a sp- specific target based on the person that it was. 
So to intentionally seek out the goddamn ex-president of the United States, find where they live, go to their mansion, case it out, burglarize it, the fucking set on pans, right? It just goes to show you that, like, not only is he a, a quote-unquote psychopath, but he's so motivated, and he, he has this sense of justice about him to where... I mean, he's a fucking anti-hero. He's like the definition of an anti-hero. Well, everybody likes a man of his word. He yeah, said it, he was going to pay his ass back. And he did. You know? In an extreme way, but he, he, that's what he's driven to do. So it's not the right thing. It's not like he's driven by a moral code that we would all abide by. It's not the Ten Commandments driving him, but he does have his own moral code that fucking sails the ship, right? It's not like he's just doing things at random. I mean, you have to be fair with with uh, psychopathy and and uh, just psych like psycho shit in general. The the obsession to do anything they they obsess about things, especially when it's oh, somebody yeah. who's definitely dicked them over in any way. It may not necessarily be killing. It's like the embarrassment. Like if they're embarrassed when they're young, right. they, they don't ever want to be embarrassed again. That's, so that that's what you got to look out for, I guess. So if you if you run into this type of person, yeah. like, treat them gently because they will. Go to the ends of the earth. Yeah, and when when you're handling somebody who doesn't care about people, uh, you know it's it's there's a very thin line. You you know you could cross it real quick. You know it's not a it's it's not somebody to be trif- trifle with at all because they will fucking ruin your life. They'll kill you. They'll do whatever. They'll they'll kill your family. Make you live just so you can suffer forever. The, those type of people. Right. And for him to steal money from him is fucking like this is actually cool. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And to go buy it could have gone way worse. Yeah, it could have been worse, man, for sure. All right. So here's a quote from Panzeran's biography. Now, I talked last episode that I didn't want to do a Panzeran voice. I'm, number one, I'm not good at impressions. Number two, like three or four podcasts have already done that. But it's just too hard to differentiate. Yeah. And, I, you know, he's got that Clint Eastwood fucking gruff about him, so whatever. Just so you know, I'm doing Pan's Ram. Back in New York, summer of 1920, I think. June or July, but maybe August. Five days after I got back broke on the Manchuria, I went up to New Haven, Connecticut. There I robbed the home of someone in that place. I got about $40,000 worth of jewelry and Liberty bonds. They were signed and registered with the name of W.H. Taft. Along with the jewelry was a watch with the name on it. Parented to him by some congresspersons or senate while he was a governor general of the Philippine Islands. So I know it was the same man who had given me my three years in U.S. military prison when he was a secretary of war about 1906. Out of this robbery, I got about 3000 in cash and kept some stuff, including a 45 Colt automatic, which that money, I bought the yacht, Akista. I had quarters for five people, but I was alone for a while. Then I figured it would be a good plan to hire a few sailors to work for me. Get them out of my yacht. Get them drunk. Commit sodomy on them. Rob them and kill them. This i done. Well... <laughs> that's a cool boss man you know what I mean yeah, yeah, he's yeah. looking out for everybody that's the type of employer you want you don't want somebody just stands around idly while you do all the work well he works too you want a boss that's getting his hands dirty yeah. getting his dick dirty a hard worker hard fucker hard killer Panzerim claimed that he killed up to 10 sailors with Taft's pistol sailor murdering spree ended after the Akista ran 
aground and sank near the Atlantic. God damn it. Sank. <laughs> Let me just start. I'm going to take one more sip of this bit. Get your whistle wet. You know, my mouth gets so fucking dry at this time of year. Yeah. Like, it's you not. Sweat too it's much. not fall. Well, it's like right when. Like, we're not quite changing seasons, but when you know it's about to change seasons, it's humid. But there's also a fucking dryness. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Well, it's allergies, too. Yeah. So it kind of comes in. Oh, I got them. Like, this is the only time of year I snore. Yeah. It's just like things are wet, but they're dry. It makes no sense. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so he killed 10 sailors with test pistol while he was using the yacht. Sailor murdering spree ended, which, of course, you know, obviously what he was doing, he just told you he's butt-fucking them and murdering them. Getting hired, fucking you, killing you. The Akista ran aground and sank near Atlantic City, leaving his last two potential victims to escape. And all of the treasure that he had amassed on the Akista sank into the sea. Now, the treasure that he had, one has to assume, is what he took from sailors that were aboard his ship. And then, you know, he was driving this yacht around from port to port and just robbing. It's important to know that through this entire story... In case things come up and you wonder how he had money or how he kept going, there's not a day that goes by where he's not robbing and burglarizing wealthy people. Yeah. Not just people, but he's doing crime to the rich. He's doing what Lemmy wanted. Well, I feel like the reason why he's probably doing this is because those are the people that were in charge of him as a kid. Right. They're the ones that that dictated what his life was going to be like in the future. So this is his way of getting back at him. Sure. And uh, the obsession, like I said, with, with psychopathy in general is that it's all, it's, it's all about you're, you're, I'm going to be, I'm, they're basically thinking of themselves as gods. And a lot of ways they're trying to get back at somebody from their past, whether it's his mom or uh, whatever, you know, it's so like this, this frowned upon thing with like the gay, the notion of being gay right this is a scary thing in this time period to think about he doesn't consider himself gay yeah no no he doesn't but this is like he he's just see the thing that's a sexual he can't even that's what you're saying is he can't even do that because he is obviously he's detached from it but the part about uh the sexual appeal for him is that he's just dominating uh everybody mentally and physically mentally whenever people talk about rape with other men it fucks them up because men are supposed to be manly, manly, and then a guy is like taking that from them, yeah, and then he's killing them, and then people are writing about that or whatever they're going to do in the newspapers. But the sexual part is that he's just completely dominating a human being. Right, it doesn't matter their sex. Yeah, that's what's sexually appealing to him is the domination part. But it, you know, it kind of does matter the sex with him. I do get what you're saying, but it is it's a, something separate that should be brought up is that he doesn't rape any women whatsoever yeah so you're more mentally inclined than i am Mm -hmm. as far as like mental disorders yeah what do you think do you think that sexually what he derives pleasure from what you're saying but completely dominating another human being do you think he maybe isn't quote-unquote homosexual but he gets off on dominating the most powerful human being that he can. So like maybe he views a woman as too weak to rape. Yeah. He he does it. It's it's kind of like Conan in the way it's like he puts himself in a one-on-one situation with many men. Yeah. And, he, and he's trying to strip them like he, I'm the ultimate man. It's like the same thing. It's uh 
he's trying to de-emasculate, however the fuck you say it. He's trying to make them not as Emasculate. Manly. Yeah, he's just trying to take <laughs> that away from them. And he's trying to show that he's the ultimate man. Also, you know, maybe some of the issues with his father not being around and yeah. some other stuff, it has to do with it. Um, but he is a, a, like a manly man. And it's sure. like when you think about, you know, in this time period when people would say the word gay, fag, any of that kind of stuff, it was to make them seem lesser than a man and try to feminize them. This right. guy was super masculine. Right. And he would fucking... Get that boy pussy, man. He didn't give a fuck. Yeah, I'm you know? sure if you called him a fag, you were going to get fucked. You better be able to fight. You know, you but better. no one could fight like that. No, and he wasn't trained in a combat sport. No, but if you look at pictures of him, I mean, there's not a lot of pictures of Panzram full body, but there are some where you can see the top part of his chest. Yeah. He's jacked, and again. Yeah. The prison system that he went through, they made people do manual labor. Yeah. And if you were out of line, they made you do the type of torture they would implement was, you know, making you hold on to a steel ball for 12 hours a day. Well, he didn't just hold on to it. He did squats, jumping. He did explosive exercises holding on to heavy metal because they made him hold on to it. So it just fueled his fire. Yeah. Like he works out and he works out to rape. Well, yeah, and the other thing, too, is if you fight, if you break somebody mentally, uh, Two things can happen. They become weaker. They become tougher. Yeah. And even if they're physically not strong, they're usually going to give you a hard time in a hand-to-hand situation or uh, any type of, like, if you're trying to pin them on the ground, trying to rest them, yeah. anything like that, they're going to give you a hard time. But if they're both, they're both physically intimidating and mentally intimidating, they're right. not afraid of you, you're going to have the worst fucking time of your life. Yeah. I don't give a shit what you trained or anything like that. There's just people out there that are fucking hard. Yeah. You know? that. And sometimes those people end up doing martial arts. We, we talked about in our previous episodes. Right. So um, there, there's something about uh, child abuse that ties into a lot of some people talk about, are these people made or are they born this way? Yes and no. It just depends on the person. I think he was made this way. He became this way. He's institutionalized at a young age. He's, it's like impossible to know. You know I mean, because like we, he was born in the bullshit. Yeah. Abused from day one. Yeah. So, like I've said time and time again, it's kind of like grief. We all interpret it differently. People are born a, a certain way. Like, like I said, this some people would just break under the pressure. He didn't. Right. Um, that's my theory. Like a lot of my theory behind John Wayne Gacy was the same thing. Was that he wasn't gay as much as he was just trying to domineer his, no, he his was dad. Gay, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. I mean, he was uh, very gay, and uh, I mean, the Panzerum was gay too. I mean, that's the facts of it. Yeah, I'm just what I'm. He wouldn't consider himself as that, which is a whole other. Yeah, and that's got to be society at the time. Yeah, I don't know. Well, he didn't have any relations with women or any attraction or proclivity towards women. Like I said, I think the idea of of. Uh, Brutalizing and humiliating. And plus, this was like years before Gacy, too. Yeah, yeah. So, like, when Gacy was around <laughs> in a urban environment like Chicago, he could have easily been gay. Yeah. Well, I think brutalizing, humiliating, like what people would consider strong and breaking them right. is what is a sexual appeal. I don't think it has to do with men or women. I yeah. think that's what it. It's like people that come from killing. Like, uh, Chikatilo, that was his thing. He could only come if somebody would die. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's kill the same thing. It, it doesn't have to, it, he preferred women because that's what he's attracted to, but yeah. I don't think that's the case with this even. No. So. No, yeah. Yeah. Whole point. 
he gets off on dominating the strongest people that he can find. So it's like a, a constant test and battle for him. Yeah. And that's no good for anybody else because he just keeps getting more and more fucking strong. Yeah. <laughs> more and more mean. Never He doesn't have a reason to slow down. Uh, so he lost all his treasure because, again, he's constantly robbing people. So he lost tons of money, tons of jewels, including Taft's jewelry. October 26, 1920. This is when Panzeram was going by John O'Leary. He was arrested in Stamford, Connecticut for burglary and possession of a loaded handgun. Of course, the f- beautiful 45 that he stole from Taft. Spent six months in jail in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Panzram then caught a ship to Africa after jail. He ended up in Luanda, Portuguese Angola. He became a fucking slave driver for Sinclair Oil in late 1921, which again, think about the time period in America. You know, that's 80 years post-slavery. Yeah. But still, you have these American companies, Sinclair Oil, down in Africa, using slave labor. Yeah. Which, that's not that far time-wise removed so i guess i could see it it's just sad that it was still going on and then that's the thing that we'll go back to the sexual shit it it, he loves to dominate and domineer people you know he's probably beating the fuck out of him with a whip or whatever kind of weird torture yeah and and it kind of keeps him at bay i think for him the end game is that he wants people like him to run the world because the hard will survive. Yeah. And then the hard also want to fight the hard, like to see who is the top domineering individual in this realm. I really think he's the only true nihilist. Yeah. He really doesn't care. I don't, I don't care. think he has an end game. I don't think that he wants anything. Yeah. I think he really is the only one ever, you know, could say whatever. Nietzsche changed his mind. Yeah. I mean, you, anyone that's ever claimed to be a nihilist is definitely not. He wants to be the Ubermensch, the Superman. I don't know? think he I, even wants that. I don't think he wants anything. Yeah. That's my theory, is that he's pure nihilism. He's more apathetic than anyone's ever been before. He does have desires. He does whatever he wants to to curtail to them. But anything, anyone that that inconveniences or harms, he doesn't give a fuck about. No. He doesn't care about anything. He doesn't even care about himself that much, nope. as you'll see. Because he is incredibly self-destructive the only reason that he doesn't the only thing that keeps him going is continuing to come yeah like getting what he wants and and here we'll see again what we're talking about with him being gay not gay when he was a slave driver he bought several young girls slaves but that was only to try to prove to the people he was around that he wasn't gay because at this time he's making money he doesn't have to do robberies and burglaries but he loves it and uh he he was still raping and fucking men and young men wherever he could. He didn't have sex with the girls. He simply just purchased them and kept them around and uh, made them his slave. So you think there was like maybe some kind of battle within? Like he there was like he didn't care about social norms, but maybe that was the one he cared about. And he just wanted to prove that that's yes. what he wasn't. Right. Maybe his mom, when he was a kid, called him those things. Well, I have a, also have a feeling that it, when he became a slave driver, he probably really liked that. Yeah. Because you're you're just taking like they're just turning him loose. It's like, how would you like to get paid for being vicious? As mean as you are, there's not anyone alive that can put you down. So go out there and be the mean motherfucker 
and push these slaves around. And then he liked it, and but he was around all these oil workers, other slave drivers. And so there was pro- they probably there probably was a tradition of all them buying young girls, yeah, and using them. I even think that. So he probably jumped on board with that. Yeah, just to just to fit into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That community. Well, I also think too, it's just not enough. Nothing's enough for a sociopath until they're gone, until they're done. Right. Know? Yeah, and so the the reason why he ended up losing the job is because Panzram's boss basically found out that Panzram was fucking men, started telling everybody. So Panzram kicked the shit out of the boss. Sinclair officials told him that he was not allowed to return to the United States. So how do you think that Panzram dealt with that? He just did what the fuck he wanted and went back. <laughs> yeah, and what he wanted is he burned down the oil rig, the entire thing, set yeah. it on fire. Again, that's what he does. Think about back to when he was a teenager, the torture building, yep. set it on fire. You don't fuck with him. Nope. You absolutely cannot try to put him in a corner because he will not... He, I mean, he, look at the extreme of that. He'd set a fucking oil rig on fire. Yep. Let's uh, just send a message. I, I hear that a lot from a lot of kids who have been abused or raped when they were younger. They they refuse to be embarrassed. And so whenever somebody tries to do... Like, if they catch him doing something that's out of the norm or anything like that, it becomes a challenge. They're like, well, you did that. You think you want up me, motherfucker? Watch this shit. Yeah. And I see that on a daily basis i mean it's i mean we i I deal with probably between four and five uh kids that struggle with psychopathy uh, daily i mean they they do not care i've had one all abuse all abuse yeah all abused uh in brutal ways i mean like uh i've actually seen it you know those like those uh everlast punching bag uh stand up those stands that have like the weights on it and they got the speed bag on them i watched a kid kick that over so hard with so much visceral and hate on purpose because he didn't like another kid that it crushed the other kid's skull when it fell over you know it was like and then he just said i didn't mean to do that it wasn't that big a deal it's not and like he wasn't trying to help the kid he wasn't trying to lift it up he didn't feel any he was just like well what's going to happen now where am i going to go you know yeah. that kind of thing and it was just you know and it was because uh the kid stole some chips from him at snack time you know it's like fuck just refuses to be a couple fucking doritos yeah yeah yeah. it's the principle yeah nobody can because of what they've been through nobody can get over on them period they will not be humiliated whether it is a small child or people like us they won't do it they burn they'll burn your house down while you're fucking sleeping in it jesus christ well this part's a great reminder that no matter, because I don't think that we're making it seem like he's cool. Uh, it's easy to do though, and it's only because he's such a fascinating character. Because again, this is the true wild spirit. Yeah, makes no sense, no controlling it, driven purely by a carnal desire to get what he wants continuously, but. The parts that sound cool, like robbing the president, yeah, that rocks, but we're still dealing with one of the worst people to ever walk the face of the fucking earth. While he was in Africa, he said he raped an 11 or 12-year-old boy and murdered him, and what he said about it to in his autobiography was, his brains are coming out of his ears when I left him, and he will never be any debtor. It's a very hard thing to say. Yeah. No one's going to be any debtor. <laughs> God damn, dude. Like, oh, 
ketchup and mustard stand at the fucking food court at the hospital. Woo! Yeah, fuck. And he says that uh, while he was in Africa, another thing he did just for fun was hire a boat with six boat rowers, shot all six of the rowers with an old German Luger, threw the bodies out of the boat so he could watch the crocodiles eat them. Hmm. Then, of course, he went back. He's trying to go back to fucking America. He had to sail from Africa to Portugal. Again, he was in a Portuguese land area working on the oil rig. He tried to get back to the U.S. through a port there. He was denied because word already spread not to let this insane fucking monster back to America. But he found his way back via becoming a stowaway headed back to the U.S. of A. After returning to the U.S. about a year later in 1922, he claimed to have raped and killed an additional two boys, beating one with a rock in Salem, Massachusetts, and strangling another one in New Haven, Connecticut. Now, again, it's out of character. I don't understand why he's going to young kids now. Yeah. I think maybe it's something he sees in itself. But the the weird part to me, it's not just that it's like the age group, because you usually... Uh, there's a build-up period where you figure out like what kind of victims you like, but then also the way you kill them, where he doesn't really have like a, a signature way he kills. So he, he strangles, he shoots. Right. He bashes their head in with a rock. Oh, it's whatever he can do. The motive is the same. It's the rape. Right. You know, does he... I, I highly doubt he feels embarrassed about what he did. Because no. a lot of people, when they do, they commit sexual acts, and then they kill them, they feel embarrassed about what they did. Um you know, it's kind of like... No, it's it's what he does. Yeah. Yeah, so the... the you know, I mean, it, who really knows? Because, as you'll see, when he's doing the talking that consists of his autobiography, it's much later in life after he's been through all this shit. Yeah. So, who knows about in the moment? But, yeah, he really doesn't seem like the type of guy to feel embarrassment. But then again, it's the same guy that bought young girls in Africa. But psychopath wise that would fit the bill yeah. just because he's making himself fit in so he could continue to do what he really yep. wants to do without anybody being suspicious one june 1923 he says he shot a man with a 38 caliber pistol that he stole from a yacht the pistol belonged to the police chief of new rochelle new york well i guess in the yacht too and uh, he says of shooting the guy he tried to stick me up, but I was suspicious of his actions and was ready for him. And I shot him twice with the same pistol I had stolen from the police commissioner's yacht in New Haven a short time before. After I killed him, I tied a big hunk of lead around him with a rope and threw him and his gun overboard. He is there yet so far as I know. Then I sailed down the river, stealing everything I could as I went. He's just a pirate, man. You just gotta let him pirate, dude. If he would have been born, like when were pirates around? Like the 1600s? Uh, they're still around. Well, you know what I mean. Yeah. He's not a Somali pirate. He's like a fucking... Yeah. Yard, har, har. Yard, boom, ticky. <laughs> he's like that. He's like a, a real Captain Hook character. Man. What if... What, how cool would it be if, like, he really just kept some of Taft's money and shit and buried it somewhere cool and made, like, this wild adventure, but he definitely set some booby traps up that were not just going to kill you, but they were going to be brutal. What, that's probably what the Bermuda Triangle is. Ooh. Just Carl Panzer and booby traps you can never escape. <laughs> or he's just still alive. He just fucking, they snuck him down there. He just butt fucks everyone who tries to sail by him. <laughs> he's still alive. <laughs> he's like, I'm going to walk I'm going to get him. You be that butt. 
Lowell Long, the authors of the book Panzram, write, the Panzram was 31. Except for a few irrelevant days in jail, he had been free for five years. During that time, he had grossly murdered, burned, raped, robbed, and stolen with a kind of fateful impunity. He had seen 30 countries pursuing an obscure pattern of destruction that had begun in his childhood. His anger had been used into him by violence. He had been whipped, beaten, seduced, raped, dosed with salts, hosed with water, sapped, frozen, overheated, cuffed, ironed, and isolated. And that's all true. And it all makes sense. Yeah. If you make a monster, now you have a monster. June 29th, 1923, John O'Leary, which is, of course, a Panzram cover-up name. He was arrested in Nyack, New York. July 9th, 1923, Panzram tried to escape from jail. He later made a connection with his lawyer by giving him ownership of a stolen boat and return for bail money. Then he skipped bail and the boat got taken away by police. August 26, 1923, Panzram, still using the name John O'Leary, was arrested in Larkmont, New York, after breaking into a train depot. He was sentenced to five years imprisonment and confessed to being Jeff Baldwin, who was wanted in Oregon after strenuous torture. Hmm. Just another alias that he, he kept. And I don't know if he lost track of names that he had used. Or he wanted to be shipped off to Oregon. Yeah. October 1923, Panzram was imprisoned at Clinton Prison in Danamoria, New York. He tried to escape Danamora, of course, using a makeshift ladder to scale the 25-foot wall. The ladder broke. He fell, fell, fell from the top of the ladder, which again... 25 maybe more feet straight onto his back onto concrete breaking both his ankles both his legs and fractured his goddamn spine whoo they looked after Mm -hmm. him in a hospital for a couple of days then they put him back into a cell with his injuries not fixed no cast on his legs no cast on his ankles no traction for his spine. He was such a problem, such an asshole. They didn't want to do anything for him, so they just tossed him in a cell, made him sit there, didn't check on him, didn't help him. And you know how hard-minded he is. It's not like he's screaming out all the time and crying. No. So he just sat there and fucking became crippled. Damn. I mean, what's your other option? Because you don't have their you know your spine's fractured mm-hmm. you need to be in a certain position for that to heal you don't have that you're left to your own it's going to heal wrong and you're never going to walk the right way again yeah yep and that, and that was punishment again that's they wanted to do that to him most prisoners would have been taken care of but they hated him yeah and rightfully so i mean not rightfully that he got treated like that i don't know it's hard to say and those because who know they didn't know who he was for sure and all the things he had done, but at the same time he was just an asshole. He tried to fight everybody all the time. Remember, he hasn't changed. If you're a prison guard and you try to make him do something, he's not going to do it. 
He's going to fight. He's going to try to rape you. So that's what happens. They're going to let you be fucking paralyzed for life. Yeah. Because you tried to escape. I, I don't think it, everyone would have been treated that way. Well, you know, it also probably benefited the other people that were around him because he's not fucking anybody. Right. He's not taking, he's not dominating them. He, basically, it's a, uh, it's kind of like when you, when you take somebody's family away from them or their purpose. Basically, took that guy's they, they took that guy's purpose away from him. That was his whole purpose is to fuck him and dominate him, and he can't do that now. Well, you'd think that because he was discharged in July 1928, and it, supposedly he committed a murder in Baltimore the remaining summer months right after his discharge. On top of that, he committed 10 additional burglaries in the fucking same area. <laughs> was that Forrest Gumped? Like he had the braces on his leg. You and just shit. can't stop him. He no. didn't have anything. He just was in pain, could barely move. Yeah. But that that's what he wanted to do. August thirtieth, nineteen twenty eight, he ended up getting arrested in Baltimore for burglary where he stole a radio and jewelry from the home of a dentist. They basically arrested him, went back to his place, found the property of the dentist, sent him away. During his interrogation, he voluntarily confessed to killing three young boys boy in Salem, a boy in Connecticut, and a third in Philadelphia again. Now he's only taking credit for the teenage kids. Yeah. He's done way more. So I'm wondering if that's weighing on him. I'm wondering if what he does feel remorseful for is the time that he switched from domineering adult men to killing, you know, innocent teenage children that can't defend themselves. Have you ever done something real fucking stupid and you knew it was stupid and then you try to stop doing it, but then you have to like live. Then you then you stop, but then you reflect on it. Like, why was it so stupid? How come I feel this way about it? Why was it an impulse? You ever feel that way about anything? Yeah, all the time. I'm impulsive as fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All types of dumb so shit. So it's like, yeah, it's it's kind of like that with ADHD, but uh, it might be like that with him. Um, we work our problems out in very weird ways. Sociopaths, especially, do that. So he might see himself in something where it's like his weak point in life, where he was weak. And he might, like I said, see that and go, well, maybe somebody will come up out of this like I did. And he tries to do the same thing and he feels like, oh, fuck, well, maybe I don't want them to live like this. So he kills them. That'd be very deep. <laughs> Yeah, I mean they're deep people. I mean they're yeah. As far as, as oh, yeah, themselves sure. are concerned, not with other people, but themselves. They're more reflective upon themselves than they are anybody else. They don't give a shit about that, you know. But the the thing is, is like I think maybe he feels guilty. He's like maybe this kid had a normal life and then I fucked it up. Now I'm the person I hate. So you he know, just killed him. So he kills him because he doesn't want to live. He doesn't want them to live through the pain he's lived through. Right. Well, the Philadelphia victim was ID'd as Alexander Luzak, a 14-year-old newsboy. Panzram later wore that he strongly contemplated mass killings and other acts of mayhem, such as poisoning a city's water supply with arsenic or blowing up a British warship in New York Harbor to provoke a war between the United States of America and the United Kingdom. That would have rocked. Tight. Either one of those would have been much cooler than killing teenage kids. Yeah, if just one man could have fucking sparked a war, and he might have, been, <laughs> and he and he really might have been incapable of doing that. He definitely know? was capable of doing it. He's a uh, 
I don't know, man. He's just a fucking barbarian, man. Absolutely. Like, not like in the good way. craves but, chaos. Yeah. Needs yeah. it more than anything. And now the prison system have had enough of Carl's shit. So they gave him a 25 to life sentence. As he went into prison for that sentence, he warned the warden that he would kill the first man that bothers him. So they gave him a solitary job in the prison laundry room. July 20th, 1929, he beat the prison laundry foreman, Robert Warnke, to death with an iron bar. So they went ahead and sentenced Pandram to death. Fuck this. That's enough. You got to go. Now, this is a crippled man, too. Just motivated. Lawyers come to him like they always would. Try to get him to hire them to do an appeal for Panzram. Refuses. Absolutely not. Doesn't want to appeal it himself. Doesn't want any lawyers involved. He wants to die. In response to offers from the death penalty, opponents and human rights activists to intervene, Panzram said... The only thanks you and your kind will ever get from me for your effort on my behalf is that I wish you all had a neck that I had my hands on it. Hard. Yeah. These are all fucking Acacia Strain lyrics, man. Well, yeah. You know. Phew. Now, while Panzram was on death row, he met the author of his eventual book, Henry Lesser, who would give him money to buy cigarettes. Carl was so astonished by this one act of kindness that after Lesser provided him with writing materials that Panzram could write with, as he was waiting for his execution, Panzram wrote a detailed account of his crimes and his nihilistic philosophy. He made it very clear that he did not repent in the least for all the robberies, murders, and rapes, and arsons that he had been involved in. Mm. I mean, he wrote, In my lifetime, I have murdered 21 human beings. I've committed thousands of burglaries, robberies, larcenies, arsons, and last but not least, I have committed sodomy on more than 1,000 young male human beings. For all these, I am not in the least bit sorry. I don't really believe that. I do. Jesus. I don't. I, I, that he's not sorry? No, I, I feel like he definitely has some remorse about it, but for him to uh, admit to it would be a sign of weakness. Uh, he would never want to show weakness to anybody. Yeah. But again. He's going to all this effort. I mean, in my, so here in my brain, the reason this book got written is because Henry Lesser, who was a guard in a prison that he was so used to be wronged by and combatant against, did. And the saddest part of the whole thing is that him giving him cigarette money is literally the nicest thing that ever happened to Carl Panzer mm-hmm. before. And that one act of kindness, Panzram was willing to to do this, and he had to have known that Henry was going to benefit from it, and he was not. Yeah. Right? So he was willing. It's like, you know, as shitty as all the circumstances is, it just makes me think that 
when I come across people that disgust me, which is 90% of the population, yep. I just need to do a lot better job of being a little bit fucking nicer to people. Yep. Because if what if this had happened to Panzram 30 years earlier? Exactly. I mean, this is what it, he was just treated like he was bottom of the barrel. And so he did that to other people. It translates all the time. When you take somebody like that, a lot of times, even, you know, me, I, I, uh, I struggle with people being nice to me and shit like that. I don't, I always feel like there's an ulterior motive. Most of us do yeah, because of the world we live in. But, uh, I try to pass on some kind of good good something to somebody that feels the same way where they might be physically intimidating or something like that. And then when you show them that you're not afraid, but also like, hey, man, I've got I've got your best interest in mind. It really makes them have to sit back and think like, are all people bad? Why do I feel this way? Who did what to me? And then like, why did this guy feel like that? And then it starts a conversation um, with people. It's like sometimes we have to have somebody who's been there before and that's really what it takes in a lot of times when you're trying to save people's lives or you're trying to, to change their minds about things. Is It takes somebody like them who's tried to fix their life and you have to talk to them about it. And then they start to make change. If, if they've never had anybody willing to sit down and have that conversation, then nothing will ever change and they'll always be the same person and they'll do terrible things because they feel like the world is a terrible place. Well... You're a much better person than I am because I absolutely hate interacting with people. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm bad about it on my days off. I really don't like doing it. I will online yeah. and things like that. But Yeah, well, what you said is for sure my problem is that if someone I don't know is being overly nice, like I automatically know that there's there there's an ulterior motive. Yeah. And like I meet so many fucking people just being out doing shows and shit where it's everything just seems so inauthentic to me yeah which is not it's not always the case but because i've had a shit life you're just always on guard yeah so the easiest thing to do is to just shut off and give quick responses and get the fuck out of there well prime example is like last week they gave me uh employee of the year i didn't give a speech about anything you know my thing was when somebody says how do you feel i was like i I don't. F- There's still homeless kids in my town. Like I, I didn't do very much. Say something, buddy. All right, nip. No, I mean, I just sat down. I took it. It was cool, you know. It's cool that somebody thought of me or whatever. And I just didn't think of it like that. It was just like if, for me, if I sit there and indulge in a situation like that, that feels like I need to stop doing what I'm doing. Sure. And so that's where I try to translate into like trying to make it like a good thing because beforehand it was like, yeah, what do you need from me? Right. You know. And now I just use it for fuel to keep doing good. I'll never accept that I'm ever doing good. I'll never accept that because if well, I there do, is a fail. certain part of like right. I mean, you need to keep a drive. Yeah, like you never want to. You don't want to settle on your laurels. No, you don't want to go like you don't want your work to be done. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's a hard balance to accept that. You've done good, and then also have the drive to continue to do better. When you live in chaos, I mean, you both have, and a lot of people listen to the show have, it's very hard to take construct. Like when somebody tells you you're doing good, it's hard to take that. 
that's why a lot of people fail like when they go to drug rehabs or institutionalized or they're in a foster care or they're in some type of behavioral health situation where they're it's based upon their behavior those last three days that they're about to discharge and say hey you've been doing good man where you'll see them really fuck up is because they're used to that chaos they'll mm, never try to do any better you know so i and i live i've lived in that my whole life and so what i do is instead of going like, fuck, I just just fuck up everything. And I still do sometimes. What I do is I try to take that as like, okay, well, maybe I'm doing better, but it's not as the best I could do. And I still strive at it. Until the day I die, I'll never think I'm good enough. But that's what keeps me going. Well, until you start cleaning your toenails better, I think you're I've right. I've been doing it. I'm scrubbing them. <laughs> I've been using sandpaper. Are you sandpaper? God I got damn. tough acting and acting the shit. <laughs> you just like, rough them up and hit them with that tenact. Yeah, and then I put this other shit on it, and I don't know what it's called, but it's like a weird oil. <laughs> All right, man. And I scrub them down. God. But I'm trying to get rid of it, man. I want somebody to suck these toes. Please, no one ever do that. You know, that's something mean, you don't deserve. Yeah, even if it's a man, but I can hire him. <laughs> but me and my wife are fucking, and I don't have to see you or nothing. Like maybe I just wear a mask. And you suck my toes when my wife is fucking me, I think we'll be good. Yeah. Well, she definitely does not deserve that. No. So, yeah. You would I'll have suck to her toes. Bring in a third party. Well, sure. I like a work foot, man. I like when it's been. <laughs> work foot? Yeah, man. That's you a like Himalayan. You've just been walking around Spencer's for eight hours. Yeah, that's a Himalayan salt. <laughs> it's good for you. Season me. <laughs> All right. So, Lezard. Because of his bond with Pansram, they let him take him to Leavenworth, and he promised to write Pansram letters, and Pansram vice versa. He felt like he finally had a friend, so Pansram would write, The other half of this letter I wrote 20 days ago. Since then, conditions have not changed a bit, not very much, but just enough for me to commit suicide tonight instead of waiting until September 5th to be legally hung. So if I succeed in my effort at suicide tonight, this will sure be the last I'll ever say or write on this earth. The choice is mine. I fully realize what I'm doing. I have no cho- I had no choice about coming into this world, and nearly all my 38 years in it, I've had very little saying to do about how I should live my life. People have driven me to everything I have ever done. Now the time has come where I refuse to be driven any farther. Tonight I die, and tomorrow I go to a grave. Farther than that, no man can drive me. I'm sure glad to leave this lousy world and the lousier people in the world. But of all the lousy people in the world, I believe that I am the lousiest of them all. Mm. Today I am dirty. Tomorrow I'll be just dirt. So he shows remorse. He blames everybody else. Yes. But he feels like dirt because there's some type of guilt involved in that. Yeah. I, I and, and you're not. Uh, the, you can see uh, he hasn't had much choice in his life. He feels like this is the this is his end game is because now he's got choice in this. He's been suffering for so long. That happens so much, too. Yeah. I mean, like a great human being that recently killed himself Jeffrey Epstein <laughs> and just wanted to finally make a decision for himself. You know what yeah. I mean? Wait, is it 
Yeah, yeah, maybe he did. That. And he had been controlled by reptiles for so long. Yeah, it was time to just break away. Well, you know, whatever. But what I'm saying is, is that he 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 blames society on on his problems, which he may not be wrong. But we're gonna when we look, we dive into a lot of serial killers, even wow. And a lot of the mass shooters that we got going on, they'll say the same shit. It's society's fault that women yeah. women won't fuck me. It's society's fault I collect guns. Yeah. It's society's fault that the American Eagle stands true. You know, this kind of stupid shit that we dive into, it's the same shit with him even. He yeah. feels guilty about the things he does, but he had while he's here, he has to make chaos, period. That's what his entire goal is. Yeah. And now he's tired of the chaos. Yeah, and one thing that I truly hate, which probably what separates me from killers, yeah, is that I can't stand when someone won't take the blame for their fucking actions. Yeah. Like, yeah, dude, you know, you got a shit life. Terrible things did happen to you continuously. That's not wrong. But nobody made you fucking rape kids. No. That was 100% you. You were cognizant. You wanted to do it. And according to you, you did it a thousand times. Yeah. That is not anyone's fault. No one made you do that. I also think the physical pain plays a part. The the sure. constant pain you're broken. I have a bro. I've broken my back before. It's not a fucking. Is that true? Yes. It's not a fucking. I uh, broke my back. It's not fun. What do you mean, Mike? Spinal. Spinal. <laughs> it's, it's not fun. Spinal. It hurts. I feel like shit all the time. But well, I work through your it, back, dude. Man, I fucking don't even really know if I'm honest. Spinal. Just did a bunch of dumb shit when I was a kid. Can you get a tattoo on your, like a giant tramp set that says spinal? I'm going to get in the old Sepultura farm. It's like tribal. Spinal. I wish you could just get a button on you that talked. Button. You could just push it. I broke my back. Spinal. <laughs> uh, but it, the, uh, the pain part of it also plays a role. So you physically don't feel good. You mentally don't feel good. Sure. And so maybe in a weird way that plays a role where he's had to like accept the the things he's done, but he won't do it wholeheartedly because he still blames society. Yeah, and let me tell you, if he didn't want to root for Panzram, he went out real cool. Yeah, it's gonna be hard to not fucking who 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 who. Yeah, he didn't commit suicide that night. He waited his pending execution, which was coming up on September fifth, nineteen thirty. Officers attempted to place a black hood over Panzram's head. He spit in the executioner's face. When they asked him if he had any last words, he responded, Yes, hurry it up, you hooser bastard. I could have killed a dozen men while you're screwing around. Man. His grave is at Leavenworth Cemetery. It's only marked with his prison numbers 31614, which you can't help but notice the first three numbers, 316, Austin 316 says, I just whipped your ass. Man. Probably Austin's great-grandfather, you know? Maybe, man. Last letter that he sent to Henry Lesser read, I've read this letter and in reply, write that there is nothing more that you can do for me. Also, that's as far as any financial publication and sale of my biography are to go to you and you can do with it what you see fit. So again, one good deed 
And the guy cashed out. I mean, again, there's not anyone else that's ever lived that has a more interesting biography than Carl Panzeram. Mm-hmm. And it's sold millions of copies. So Lesser's good. Less is good. And all he needed to do was the one nice thing that ever happened to Carl Panzeram. In his mind. Yeah. That's the good, one good deed that ever happened to him. Just a little bit of money for cigarettes. And again, that is terribly depressing. Yeah. Five bucks? Probably two back then. It's much more than that, man. It's not just a couple bucks. It's hope. Exactly. It's hope in humanity. The thing that he just didn't never like. never seen one time before. He didn't like. He didn't see it. He wasn't trying to be a part of it. And then somebody showed it to him and it made him question everything about himself and life and other people. But to me, Panzram's more than a person. He's a concept. Because the things that he did, disgusting and deplorable. But the way that he did it has got such charm and bravado, it's hard to follow the through line without wanting to be on his team. And then on top of that, at the end of his life, again, with that one good deed, changed everything mentally for him. It's so hard to not just hate the world that we live in. But if you do, only hate, then you're no better than Carl Panzram. So it's just, to me, the most complex character study of all time. I challenge everybody, really. It's like people do bad things to every single one of us. All of us. By nature, instinct. And when you think about forgiveness, especially if you're not a, a, a religious person, we think about it in that context that God forgives everybody. I'm telling you to say, fuck that. You need to forgive those people for the things they did, not for their sake, for your sake. So that way you can move on. It doesn't have anything to do with them. It has to do with you. So when you see somebody suffering and they're maybe an asshole to you or whatever, don't take it personal. Do something nice to them. Because they may say fuck you when you do it, but they have to also go question that thing. So it's if you want to make this place a better place, which it's probably not going to, you know, but to make to make it to where there's at least some kind of hope or anything, you need to do something to other people it could just be a small gesture buy a pack of cigarettes buy him a fucking cheeseburger fucking give him 25 cents uh give him some shoes just say something nice to him you might change their entire life and they might that's one more person that's going to maybe do something positive might change something maybe not but you did it you made them think about it in this way so you have to do those kind of things in order to make any type of progress it's not as simple as putting laws into place or you're just a dickhead and you're not going to fucking make any, any kind of comments. You're just fucking mad at everything. That's fine. But those, those people also need some hope too. And if you give it to them, that's a good thing. If not, then the world's going to be a shitty place. Beautifully put. Beautifully put. Thanks, man. And also, if you see me in the store, don't fucking talk to me. We'll see you next week on death metal dicks. (laughs) (laughs) 